0: Let's turn together to Ephesians chapter three, verses fourteen through twenty-one. Ephesians three, fourteen through twenty-one. As I said, if you don't have a Bible, you can find one there somewhere nearby in the uh, chairs in the in front of you and underneath the racks there, the racks underneath the chairs. You know what I'm trying to say. Those, uh, if you need one, the words will also be on the screen. We're actually uh, coming to the end of chapter three here in our series through the book of Ephesians. And um, I, I, might, I might say this is sort of akin to the end of act one. If this were a play, this would, you know, the end of chapter three would be sort of like the, the end of act one. There's this, this great powerful monologue at the end of the act. And then the curtain draws and opens back up. For how shall we then live in light of all that, uh, that we've heard in, uh, in this first act? And so it does end on a powerful note we find here, beginning in verse 14. So I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand in honor of the reading of God's word and out of reverence for his voice and the authority with which he speaks. Listen to the word of the Lord. For this reason... and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we do believe in our hearts that this is a divine word to us, and that every jot and tittle of it is inspired by your Spirit, written down for our hearing. And when we open it, we do so with expectation that you have something to say to us that is life and truth, and it is timely. And we know that you know all uh, of the cares on our hearts. You know all of the circumstances that we're living through, Lord. You know what we need to hear when we don't know what we need to hear. You know what we need to hear when it's different even than what we want to hear. And so, God, we ask with earnestness, that in light of that truth, Lord, that you would speak your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. Lord, would you move me out of the way and use my voice as your instrument today. For Christ's sake, amen. Amen. you may be seated. Well, one of the themes we have seen in... Act 1, as I called it, this, this, uh, the first half here of um, Ephesians. One of the themes we've seen is how unfathomable God's goodness is. If you saw a late hour newsletter article, you may have uh, picked up on this. And if you didn't see that, but you just remember these first three chapters, and if you've studied them before, you know this is true. Just, just this one time after another, we're, we're struck by, impressed by the unfathomable, immeasurable goodness of God. He, he opens up, you remember in chapter one, telling us he's, God's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and he starts to name them, to unfold them, and it's like drinking out of a, a fire hose. You know, the blessings of God, the grace of God. It is, it is just so voluminous, you can't even process it all, uh, all of what he's done. And so then, Paul prayed that God would open the eyes of our understanding. Do you remember that? My, so my prayer is that God would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know. Because he's just told us what is true, but he prays that we would know. Because we don't really get it. So would he give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might really know his hope and his riches and his immeasurably great power, he says. And then he goes on in chapter two to tell us again, gives us other pictures of how gracious God has been to us, that he made made you alive when you were dead in trespasses and sins, that he raised you up with Christ, that he seated you with him in the heavenly places in Christ, that when you were far off, he brought you near. When you were strangers, he made you citizens. When you were aliens, he made you members of the family that all of those things he did entirely by his immeasurable grace or the immeasurable riches of his grace, it says in uh, verse 7 of chapter 2. And then last week, as we were looking in uh, earlier in chapter 3, Paul said he was charged with preaching to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Like the, the depths of the ocean, I suggested we, uh, we, we, we spend much of our lives digging in the landfill looking for treasure when there are unsearchable riches that are more vast than the ocean itself for us to uh, explore and to receive. Just the unfathomable goodness of God, that is one of the themes clearly in the first half of Ephesians, and that it's all been done for us, given to us by His grace—that is, His sovereign goodness toward us—not because of uh, that we 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 saved up enough coupons or, or anything of the sort, just by His grace. So here at the end of chapter three, Paul touches on that. Same theme with another powerful prayer as he closes out and as the curtain gets ready to draw for intermission, so to speak, he closes out with this powerful prayer, a prayer that he had begun actually in verse one of chapter three, if you remember that, where he had said, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, uh, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace it was given to me. You remember there's just almost like this parenthetical thought that he develops there about the mystery of the gospel and then uh, the, 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 the ministry that he has uh, in being a steward of that mystery. And, and now he comes back to essentially this same prayer that he got ready to begin at chapter one and says, for this reason... I bow my knees before the Father. I would suggest to you that for this reason really refers to all of that l- grace that he's lavished upon us by his goodness that he's, he's spelled out uh, earlier in chapter two and even in chapter one. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's a prayer here for extraordinary knowledge that is what is what he's praying again it's it's really in some ways similar to that prayer that he prayed in uh, chapter one for extraordinary knowledge knowledge that is beyond knowing which is just mind-boggling on purpose right he's he's saying something that's intentionally paradoxical how can you know something that's beyond knowing but that's exactly what his prayer is, right? He said it. And uh, this morning, I just want to look at the source and the substance and the product of that knowledge. Is where, do, where does he pray that it will come from? What is the substance of it? And then what, is the, what does that produce? And then, finally, the praise that concludes this prayer. And so let's look first at the source of this knowledge that's beyond knowing. And he says it's Christ dwelling within us by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you look in verses 16 and 17, he prays that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, so there's really sort of two two prongs to the same fork, so to speak. Uh, Two two points there, kind of communicating something very similar, that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The word dwell here Uh, means something along the lines of taking up permanent residence. And so there's a couple of words that could be used for dwell. And one of those might be, um, might convey something more like a temporary stay. So you think about, for example, if you were uh, somebody who does contract work of some sort, and they're, uh, they're, they're working in a city for, six months or 12 months or whatever, and they go and they rent a furnished apartment there. It's where they're dwelling, but they're not there to stay, right? And you live a little differently in a place like that, in that sort of apartment. But, but when you dwell, as he's praying, Christ would dwell in our hearts. This is the kind of place where you paint the walls without worrying about whether you're gonna to have to paint them back the original color. You know, you change the carpet just because you wanna. It's a d- d- dwelling there to stay there. That's the sort of dwelling that he's asking for, that he's asking God to provide uh, this sort of strength, the power of the Spirit so that Christ may dwell, that he may live in your hearts permanently. And part of the reason for, for wanting to qualify that as a little bit is that we don't need to think that, that, that any one Christian a truly born again, Christian, we, we don't think there are some that have Christ dwelling in them and others that don't, or that some that had him there and now he's gone. No, he, he's there to stay. And we want to give him more and more of a place of residence in our heart. But but part of the point here, talking about the source of this knowledge, is this isn't knowledge that you can learn through a book, or through a class, or through a sermon series. Which is ironic that I would be mentioning that in a sermon series, isn't it? But the, but the point is, there there are things that we that we have to know. There there is content that we have to know is true about. Christ and his love for us, what God has done for us. There's, there are, are facts that we have to know in order to understand what's beyond our comprehension. But he's speaking of a knowledge that you can't acquire that way. It is provided by the power of his spirit in your inner being. And then by coming to know Christ personally as he dwells in our hearts, we would become rooted and grounded in love, he says. Rooted and grounded in love. One of the things we ought to walk away from this passage and this message uh, with some sense of is that the love of Christ toward us is central to our lives as a Christian, that that uh, that in defining the, the, the very nature of the relationship we have with him, that love is central. And, in, and then in the way we live in light of that truth, our love toward others is central as well. We're rooted and grounded in love. And that is something, rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, something we cannot fake, at least not for long. Right? The... the the truth will show itself. I mean you can fake it on Sunday morning, right I mean we've done we've all probably done that, and church people have done that for a long time. You can come dress up, look the part, smile the part, talk the part, all of that for an hour hour and a half right you can you can fake it that far but 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 we can't uh, we can't manufacture that, the kind of life that is rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, overcome by the love of Christ, uh, with Christ himself dwelling in us for very long. That's the source of this knowledge, that, that, that we have to pray for it, not work for it. Do you understand? And it's something we ought to pray for. This is one of the ways we can pray for ourselves and one another in fact, I thought about this would not be a bad verse or passage to have on the, uh, on the prayer email we send out every week, where we're praying. Now, that is a pastoral care email. We are praying intercessorily for people in need, lots of times with people with physical needs. We're praying for those for a reason, and it is good to do so. But what we forget to pray often are things like this that God would grant you to be strengthened with power. By his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts and you would know the love of God that's beyond knowing. That's the source of this knowledge. Number two, the substance. On first reading of this, and I don't know if you feel this way and like as I just read it aloud and you look on the screen, if, if you haven't studied this passage, even this week, like you've, you, even if you've read it before, but if you haven't looked over it and, and revisited it this week, on first reading, it can be a little hard to follow Paul's train of thought. Partly because it's so, there's so much there. It's so dense. It's you could just about preach a sermon literally on every half verse. And if you, if, you, if you were to break it down that way, you can see how true that is. There's so much there. And so it's a little bit hard to follow. You really have to kind of slow down and take it apart. But the, his line of thought is all leading to, in terms of the substance of his prayer, uh, verses 18 and 19, substance and essence there. Again, sort of in two points, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I want to pause there a minute again just to consider the significance of that because all of the things for which we could pray for one another... There's a long list, isn't it? I mean, I just prayed for just a few minutes in the pastoral prayer. I didn't name a whole lot of specific things. If I had, I'd still be praying. All the things just that I know about. And there are far more than that that I don't know about, but there's all kinds of things we could feel compelled to pray for one another. And his prayer, above all things, is that we would know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. He's asking that this knowledge would be granted to every Christian who reads this letter. He says with all the saints, right? With all the saints. And he's talking there not about, when, when, when the New Testament uses the word saints, it's really just talking about the, the holy people of God, those who are set apart by him, who belong to him. It's not just the sort of super Christians we think of who are in the, you know, the Christian Hall of Fame uh, down through history or even you know, the people who were the, the apostles and those who wrote the scriptures and so forth. He's talking about all those who are believers in Jesus, who have been born again by his spirit, raised from death to life, made anew by him and for him. This is a prayer he's asking that we would have strength to comprehend with all the saints. And again, the point for saying so is he's not talking about, even though this is not a sort of knowledge you can study uh, for and acquire by reading and, uh, and, and so forth. It's not that sort of just intellectual knowledge. But it's also not the kind of special secret knowledge that the Gnostics taught about. Some of you are familiar with that term, Gnostics, those, those who uh, essentially believed there was this it was special secret mystical sort of knowledge that was available to some and not all. And so the ones who had it we're the only ones who could explain it to those who didn't have it. And you're sort of at the mercy of those people who have received that special secret knowledge. It, it is the, probably the oldest, most stubborn heresy in the life of the church. It just sort of it recreates itself in every generation in one form or another. It's plenty alive and well. Now, there was some really weird stuff in the, in the early centuries of the church that they were contending with. But it's not that kind of special secret knowledge that's only available to some. It was something that all the saints, all those who belonged to Jesus had access to and centered around knowing the love of Christ. I pause again for dramatic effect. (laughs) For, for For us to have a moment And a a moment is not enough, I will assure you. But to have a moment to try to meditate on the significance of that as the central prayer that he would pray for us. Not for our physical well-being, not for our uh, financial needs, material needs to be met, not for our enemies to be cast down, not for the government to be, you know, turned over into the hands of better rulers, certainly they could have prayed that in the Roman Empire, right? And while all of those things we ought to pray for and we're elsewhere commanded to pray for, those are good things to pray for. But at the very top of the list is that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And as we increase in knowledge, we'll never attain a complete knowledge of that. But that's the the source and the substance of this knowledge that he's praying for. Number three, the product of that. Or in other words, what does it it produce in us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge? Because the knowledge isn't an end in itself. But by knowing the love of Christ, the product of that knowledge is that we'll be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. Well, again, that's only minimally clarifying, isn't it? Because it's just one more, it's one more unfathomable truth, right? It's like immeasurable, filled with all the fullness of God. How is that that even possible? What is all the fullness of an infinite God? And how can I possibly be filled with it? Well, You'll be glad to know I'm not gonna answer all those questions (laughs) today and I'm incapable of it. But but that is the the product of knowing the love of Christ that's beyond knowledge is to be filled with all the fullness of God. And part of what that is supposed to imply, convey to us, is that our life will be redefined by that truth. If that is true, that you and I are filled with all the fullness of God, it will redefine who we are and how we live. And that is very much supposed to be true of the Christian that we become a dis- different person and that we live a different life. I think it is hard to read the New Testament and not come away with that understanding. It is not just, I said a prayer uh, when, when, when some preacher gave an invitation sometime and uh, so that one day, many, many years from now, I'll die and I'll go to heaven and then the good stuff will happen. Uh, it is that from that moment when he claims our lives and raises us from death to life, we become a new person and live a new life filled with all the fullness of God. It certainly changed perspective and identity and life for the Apostle Paul who's reading this letter, didn't it? I mean, again, if you, you just know the narrative some of his story and how he changed, but even some of the things he wrote about in other uh, letters, where he said, for example, in uh, Philippians chapter one, verses 21, verse 21, "For me, for to me to live is Christ." For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Or to the Galatians where he said, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or to the Colossians where he said, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you. Redefines who we are and how we live. And so what should our lives look like if we, if we really know the love of Christ that surpasses, surpasses knowledge and are filled with all the fullness of God? What should our lives look like Oh, I would suggest, in some measure, we should become people who love the way Jesus loved. Now again, now there's a sense in which he's speaking of knowing the love of Christ, which is, is beyond knowledge. Like what we can know about the love of Christ, and we can know it in some measure, but it's, it is so uh, rich so vast, so great that it surpasses our knowledge. But one of the things we do know is that he loved so much that he gave his only life, right? That he, or he, that he gave his life, that the father loved so, the world so much that he gave his only son. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, it says in, in Romans. And it wasn't because he saw potential in us. It wasn't because we really were eager. He knew deep in our hearts that's what we really wanted and were striving for. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, there was a pastor in the early centuries of the church around the year 400, uh, John Chrysostom was his name. But in a sermon on this passage, He said, the highest degree of love is that where men receive a benefit without any prior service on their part to call for it. The highest degree of love is when men receive a benefit without any prior service on their part to call for it. They've done nothing loving and yet have been loved, have received the benefit for it. And again, I would raise the standard of that a little bit, as would Chrysostom actually later in that same message, that not only those who had not done anything to deserve it, but those who had done plenty to deserve wrath rather than love. And that's what the Bible says about all of us. That we were dead in our trespasses and sins. You remember at the beginning of chapter 2? that we were aligned with the enemy, were by nature children of wrath. But again, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That sort of love is the, is the love that we ought to be embodied by. Because if Christ dwells in us, that sort of love dwells in us. And if that sort of love dwells in us, that sort of love ought to flow out of us. To know the love of Christ is to show the love of Christ. And certainly, uh, for those who are you know, devoid of any love for other people. will have a hard time convincing others that they know Christ and are indwelt by Christ when there's no measure of love, the love of Christ demonstrated to other people. To know the, to know the love of Christ is to show the love of Christ to those who love us, and those who hate us. Christ died for the ungodly. He demonstrated his love for the ungodly. And it's not just by implication, therefore, that you and I are to love the ungodly and those who hate us. He told us to. Doggone it. (laughs) Right? He just said it explicitly in case we weren't smart enough to figure it out. Love your enemies. I've shared before, I mean, it's one of the things that is most humbling to me when I read writings from the very early church, the earliest centuries of the church, how seriously they took those commands. There was no retaliation in them. There was the expectation they were going to be mistreated. And if they didn't always consider it an honor, they did live always as if it was their duty. To know the love of Christ is to show the love of Christ even to those who hate us. And that's an absolutely essential starting point and we'll get into, as we open the curtain again in uh, chapter four and we begin act two of this, it's, it really gets very practical about how then shall we live in light of all that he said is true about God's uh, unfathomable love and grace toward us. Very practical stuff about how we should live. But you know, there are uh, some people who would like to say that this, the... the, uh, the Product of the fullness of God in us of being filled with the Spirit is operating in the supernatural, you know, uh, all the time. It's sort of uh, exercising the authority of of Christ and so um, over the powers of darkness and uh, and all kinds of you know uh, spiritual conflicts and so forth. Well, that is true, and it's at the end of Ephesians too. We'll get there. We'll get there, but don't get the cart. Ahead of the horse. Uh, don't presume that um, you know somehow you have the authority to, to you know exercise dominion over the powers of darkness. Don't 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 presume. In other words, don't presume to control demons when you can't even control your own temper. Okay. Don't presume to control demons when you can't keep your fear under submission to the Lord or your anger or your appetite for all kinds of worldly things. You understand what I'm saying, and I'm certainly not pointing fingers. But what what I am saying is that the product of being filled with all the fullness of God is going to be the love of God overflowing from us and demonstrated in all kinds of ways in the way we relate to other people. We'll see them starting next week. But it is the right starting point that to know the love of Christ is to show the love of Christ. I've said more than enough about that. And so we conclude, having looked at the source and the substance and the product of that knowledge, then with just the praise that he offers as a conclusion to his prayer. He concludes it with uh, what we would call a doxology. That is just a word of praise or of of an expression of praise of the glory of God. Verses 20 and 21 say, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Those two verses could have easily been a sermon by themselves too, right? I'm giving you a two-for-one deal here. more, More than two, more than two. A real package deal on this. But a powerful doxology, and I actually sometimes will sort of turn this doxology into a benediction or a word of blessing for us. In fact, I think I may have done that last week to say something like, now may God do for you exceedingly abundantly above all that you could ask or imagine. And it's a powerful blessing and it's a powerful prayer, but that's not actually Paul's prayer, is it? He doesn't say, now uh, from him who's able to do Exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or imagine, may you receive abundantly above all that you can ask or imagine. Now to him, to him who is able to do far above what all we can ask or think, to him be glory. In the church and in Christ Jesus, throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul ends with this simple word of praise to him be the glory because all he has done to redeem us, adopt us, lavish us with grace and blessings, all he's done to fill us with all his fullness, all of that love that surpasses knowledge and transforms our lives is designed to bring him glory so that in the ages to come, he might show what are the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in in Christ Jesus and parade us, sinners made saints, parade us before all the rulers and authorities in heavenly places as his trophies of an absolute, utter, glorious victory over the prince of darkness. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And let's pray. Oh God, we do bow our hearts before you with a willing acknowledgement that there is so much that we've read about in the first half of Ephesians and so much right here in this passage that is beyond our comprehension. That even what we know on a sort of cognitive level, Lord, that, that, that there is so much, we know there is so much beyond it that we don't really know, that we don't really understand. We acknowledge that, Lord. But it is our prayer. It is our prayer that you would strengthen us with power by your spirit in our inner being that Christ might dwell in our hearts through faith and that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Lord, I want to be so consumed by the very presence of Christ in me, so transformed by the love of Christ in me that my life is unrecognizable to people who have known me all my life that I'm something completely different than what I once was and Lord I pray that you would do that Increasingly and in an ongoing way until you return. Lord, I pray that you would move in the hearts of people today to move things out of the way, move things out of their hearts, or certainly out of the forefront of their hearts, Lord. That there might truly be room for you to be preeminent, for your love to be first and foremost in defining who we are and how we live. And so, Lord, even today, in beginning today, would you overwhelm us with your presence and with your power? And may the evidence of that be your love in us and coming out of us. For the people who have even, uh, even this week perhaps made us angry, made us even feel enraged, people who we would consider to be our enemies, maybe because they seem to be your enemies. Lord, would you so transform our hearts that we love them because you first loved us. So we surrender ourselves to you now and pray that you would work as you will In Christ's name and for his sake, amen.